Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Happy Pride, and welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth, and I have COVID! Boo! And also, this week, we are talking about a lot of stuff. We have a lot, a lot of things of to catch up on, including a reboot of an important TV series, Mexican pregnancy horror, horrific intimacy, Alice Creek, human invasions... Wait, that is not what I meant to write. Home invasions. <laughs> I was wondering. I saw that. I was like, human invasions. What is happening here? <laughs> I read it and like I, as soon as I read it, I was like, that's not right. Home invasions. And then a movie with Dick Miller in it. 
<laughs> doing great. <laughs> doing great. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, okay. So I know that both of us have been doing a lot of festival stuff. But first, Terry, what is this reboot of an important TV series that right. you are talking about? We have a lot to go through tonight, so I'm going to keep this very short, but I wanted to throw this out there that um, the reboot uh, of Queer as Folk is, uh, started streaming on Peacock as of yesterday. Yes, okay. yesterday. <laughs> the day that this episode comes out, the day before, not while we're recording, but yes, <laughs> I'll tell you, podcasting time, messy. Um, yes. But yeah, so the, the reboot of Queer as Folk is out Um I've seen a few of the of the episodes so far. Um, I believe that the first three episodes are out there now to watch, and uh, it's it's a it starts out on a doozy note. It's uh, uh-huh. it has the first episode has a shooting at the their version of the Pabble, the, the Babylon Club. Oh no! Uh, which I mean, it's really hard to like say that there's a right time for it anymore living here in the United States when yeah it's just become a fact of life uh but the ep- but, but this episode what I did appreciate about this episode is that it does not focus on the shooter you don't know his name you never really see him outside of like a silhouette uh-huh. of him um it focuses and it doesn't focus on the violence towards queer bodies it's all about the aftermath and the uh, the resiliency and people trying to find each other and going to hospitals and that kind of stuff. So it kind of it doesn't feel as exploitive as it could. But um, so this this it's a reboot. It has some of the similar beats, I think, that of the original in terms of like some characters that you could see. Oh, this is X from this, and this is X from that. But it does so in a way that feels more of the time. Um, it's not focusing okay. on just gay white men this cast is predominantly non-white i think pretty much from what oh. from what i've seen so far and it has it has trans character it has non-binary gender fluid character it has um characters with disabilities it has um just there's a lot there's a lot going on here and i think it's more represent representative of uh queer life it's set in new orleans <laughs> which oh as a connection to what you're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, it's really good. I am covering it with Joe Lipset of the Horror Queers. We're writing reviews about it. So if you want to know more about the show um, and kind of follow along with us, please do. Uh, our reviews are going to go live every week. So I just wanted to throw Where that out there that it's out there. there? Uh, they're going to alternate between Joe's queer horror movie site and mine. The first episode, cool. the first recap will be on his, on his site. And that's all I want to say about it. It's really good. Go watch it. I'm really digging it. Perfect. Let's talk about Alice Krieg. Alice Krieg. Alice Krieg. Okay. <laughs> so I went to the Overlook Film Festival uh, last weekend in New Orleans, which is probably where I got COVID. Um, <laughs> and I saw some great movies that I'm going to talk about a few of them. But the first one is She Will, starring the incredible Alice Krieg, who mm. you have seen in films like Sleepwalkers and... Um, Silent Hill. Silent Hill. She was Christabella in Silent Hill. She's the Borg Queen in one of the Star Trek movies. Um, she's she just was in Gretel and Hansel, right? 
yeah, she's the she's the witch in Gretel and Hansel. So she is an incredible actor. And so when I heard she's in this new movie, I was like, sign me the fuck up. So <laughs> she plays Victoria, uh, not Victoria. She plays Veronica Ghent, an aging movie star who just had a double mastectomy due to breast cancer. And she is going to a rural retreat to kind of coalesce and heal with her caregiver, Desi. And so they get there and it's all like, you know, weird things start happening. Essentially, they find out that the land where they're staying was the site of a bunch of witch burnings uh, a couple centuries ago. And through the natural world, Veronica and the natural and these witches become connected and a revenge tale kind of ensues against her attacker. Um it's really it's very interesting because it's a revenge story about an older woman who has gone through this surgery that kind of like removes your breasts and kind of removes this concept of like biological womanhood that I think a lot of women associate like you know their gender identity with <laughs> and then there's an interesting angle here also going with like revenge and an older woman getting revenge but also generational trauma and I think that it doesn't always stick the landing I think it very much like relies on these really beautiful vibes and montages that are gorgeous, but it leaves a little bit more like, well, there were some questions I wanted answered, et cetera, but it's beautiful to watch. The performances are absolutely incredible. And I think it's something really cool and unique from the director. Um, so I highly recommend, especially if you like slow burn witchy movies, it's hell yeah, very good. So Oh, yeah. That is She Will. That's coming out uh, in July from IFC. So that'll be out soon-ish for people to watch on digital and VOD. So Hell yeah. I'm excited to see that one. Yeah. It so, looks good. And uh, I'm, I've heard great things about Alice. And she, I mean, she's just a phenomenal actress and everything I've seen her in. So incredible in everything she does. And I interviewed her recently. And she is the nicest person on the planet, too. At least when I talk to her. Like, it's just very kind and gracious with her time, like, I don't know. She's just a, a good, a good bean. Hell yeah. Especially for someone who plays such, like, scary-ass characters <laughs> all right. the time. She's right. very sweet. Um, so, yeah, that's She Will. Uh, what is this pregnancy horror movie from Mexico? I think I know what this is, but I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, okay. So, uh, I am, I'm watching a bunch of Tribeca films. Um, I, cause I, as I told Mary Beth before we start recording, I signed up for one. And then before I know it, I'm like, ooh, send me that one. Ooh, send me that one. Ooh, send me that one. And, and there's I a have, lot of good shit at Tribeca this year, y'all. There is. And there's a lot of queer stuff at Tribeca. And there's a lot of really great horror movies that I can't wait to talk about that I can't talk about, unfortunately. But this one premiered last night. Um, it's, I'm going to butcher this word and I apologize in advance, but I think, cause it's never even said in the, in the film, but I think it's called Huesera. Yeah. Um, have you seen, have you seen this? I haven't. I have the screener, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm not okay. covering Tribeca, but I asked Kayla for all the links. Cause I was like, can I just watch them anyway? <laughs> Um, okay, so this movie I didn't know was queer when I started watching it. I didn't um, know it was either. It's queer. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like continuing. I have seen so many queer movies over the last two weeks, and I am here for it. But anyway, so this movie is about this woman named Valeria, who um, she's married to a man. Uh, they're happy. 
They are trying to have a baby. Um, they seem very much in love. I, what I really like, what I've what I've really grown to like in the movies is when the two leads have like chemistry, and there's like sex, but there's also a playful side to it. Yeah. And there's there's a scene after they have sex, which actually feels kind of workmanlike between them. Um, and then there's afterwards, she's like laying on her bed, her legs hoisted in the air, like trying to, you know, do any of those tricks to whatever to like help. Uh, oh, the- yeah. Help the seed plant yes. itself quicker. Ew. Ew. It's so gross. Oh, it's so fucking disgusting. <laughs> and like he I'm comes firing in. myself. <laughs> <laughs> and like he comes in and like tackles her and they're smacking each other's asses and just having like fun. They just have a playful intimacy between them that I really appreciated. Then um, she learns that she's pregnant and then things start to go wrong. Um, she starts to like not sleep. Um, she has dark circles under her eyes. She's losing weight. She goes to the doctor. And he's like, you're down nine pounds. You've got to get some weight on you because otherwise you're going to lose the baby. Um, she, there's like some fear in her, I think, about change that's coming. She's a carpenter and they have in their Ooh. house her room that re- her workshop is being converted into the baby place. So she's giving oh, up her like place? the baby place. <laughs> The baby, the baby place. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> the baby Sorry. place. Uh, they're, they're, she's giving up her carpentry room for the baby place, and uh, she starts to see in a move that like was not great for Terry a big spider. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then one night, while she is not able to sleep, she's out on her balcony, and across the street, a woman climbs out onto her balcony and throws herself off of it and splats on the ground breaks her arms, breaks her legs, smashes her face, then lifts up her face to look at her. And it's like featureless. And of course, when the man comes, there's nothing there. But then she starts to see the woman skittering around like a bug, I will say. And it is horrific and gross. Ew, gross. And then about after the... After the end of the first act, like this is all in the first act, the end of the first act, there's like a flashback to her as a punk rock teen with a buzzed head, um, hanging out with a bunch of gender fluid, uh, queer people, basically saying, fuck the patriarchy, fuck domesticity. And there's a woman there that is planning on leaving with Valeria as a kid. And Valeria decides to stay behind because her brother passed away and she feels like she needs to go to college and be there with her family. And so she gives up herself to become something that she's not. Okay. And then it goes from there. And it's a definite slow burn, like to the point that I did look at my my clock a few times. It is a little slow in the second act. But okay. the things that it's exploring are very fascinating, particularly like the idea of domesticity being sort of and heteronormativity being like this kind of goalpost that isn't necessarily going to make you feel happy. Um, and it's also really creepy and it's a little witchy and uh, I really dug it. Fuck yeah. But it is very slow. Cool. Oh, I'm excited for it. I was already excited for it, but now I'm even more excited. It's good. Hell yeah. It's good. Okay. So <laughs> human invasions, AKA home invasions. <laughs> Talk to me about this because I know what this is and I'm dying to hear you talk about it. 
So, okay, this is another overlooked. I'm sorry, Mitsu is just licking my toes right now, and this is very <laughs> distracting. Um, so I, another film that Overlook I saw is called um, Who Invited Them? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm still stuck on. She's licking my toes. She's licking my toes. Um, hold on, I'm pulling it up really quick so I can get the director information correct. But Who Invited Them is a home invasion movie by Duncan Birmingham. Birmingham. Birmingham uh, solid overlook. And I was really surprised how much I liked this one. Yeah. Like, everyone wants to describe every home invasion movie as, like, Michael Haneke funny games. <laughs> like, we yeah. all want to say that. It's, like, kind of annoying. Um and, you know, this was also described as Michael Haneke, funny mm-hmm. games, annoying. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I think that does it a disservice. I think it's doing something different than funny games because it's two. So it's a couple move into their brand new house in the, the in Beverly Hills. And the husband is like super excited. He's like, look at all the stuff. Like, look how much we've earned. Look at what we've done. We've got to show off to everybody. And his wife is like, I don't want to show off. Like, this is just so not us, blah, blah, blah. And they have this dinner party where they're all of their friends, they invite all their friends to come see their new house. And it's very apparent that the husband in this situation is a huge douchebag. He, like, it's played up that he is like a, is a bro, like a rich bro who, like, mm. I make famous, like, world famous old fashions. Don't touch my vinyl. I curated the perfect playlist, bro. Like, <laughs> shit like that. Like, he's so annoying. <laughs> and everyone ends up leaving a party, and there's two, a couple left, and they say the funny, the fun line of, who invited them? And so, the night goes on, like, oh, we're your neighbors. They're like, it's a young, hot couple. Like, they're obviously very wealthy. And they, you know, end up hanging out together. And things just start getting weirder and weirder and weirder as the night goes on. And it's just, the performances are incredible. It's darkly funny. Um, I think there's a lot of extra... I think something I've noticed this year is that a lot of movies are trying too hard to fill out runtimes with, like, uh. superfluous plot. Mm-hmm. details that don't that detract from like the the core of what makes the movie so good so like there are some plot points in who invited them that just didn't seem necessary because okay. the main core of the, the two couples like engaged in whatever weird mental warfare is going on here between the t- the t- like the four of them it's fascinating and like melissa melissa yang i believe is her name um melissa tang melissa tang plays um the wife of the douchebag guy. And she gives like an incredible performance of this woman who is like a badass, but also over it and trying to like be an adult, but also doesn't want to grow up. And I think it's, it's, it's really good. I really had a good time with it. I think it should have ended like two minutes earlier, but that's just my opinion. Um, But yeah, so I think it's a great addition to the home invasion sub genre. And yeah, plays plays a, a lot with things like you know i think you can kind of see where things are going but it plays with your expectations a little bit more um than i expected in terms of like twists and turns and how it all comes together at the end so and you said it's darkly comedic right it is darkly yes it is darkly comedic uh, that's my sure. that's my jam i i'm really yeah. i really want to see this movie really bad yeah um so yeah and i don't know when that one's coming out but i think shutter acquired it oh okay i think I have to check but yeah so that is who invited them and then horrific intimacy uh, Terry? 
Oh my god. <laughs> I <laughs> I saw this like the week before Mary Beth did, and you were gonna go see it. I'm jealous. In New Orleans, with the director in the audience, severe FOMO over here. Um, but like I you would ask me how it was, and I had made like a hand motion that I'm not going to explain because I don't want to spoil the movie. And the face that Mary Beth gave me when I did that was perfection um so this this movie is carter smith's new film swallowed boy oh boy i had asked for transgressive horror uh queer horror and carter smith was like transgressive you say hold my beer give me bugs give me bugs i'm gonna show you shit that i don't know has been in a movie that's not like Something adventurous people go to watch for a long time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really curious about your your uh, experience watching this film in the movie theater with Carter and his cast and a few of his cast. So I knew that there was like a part in it that was coming, but I didn't really know exactly well, yeah, I I didn't know what to expect. Um, the entire film is, the t- entire movie is filmed four by three. So it's almost mm-hmm. a square. It's very close up on people's faces. So it's like. Very intimate. Very intimate. Very close to everything. And that like in the theater, that was even crazier. Just like seeing everyone's faces out up close and kind of their emotional performances. But. The, the part, there's a, there's a big, like, a set piece kind of in the middle. Set piece is the wrong word, but, like, this big part in the middle of the film that, like, I was sitting next to a friend of the show, Katie Rife, and we grabbed each other, and we're like, ah! <laughs> um, uh-huh. And then at the end, at the very end, um, lost, lost, Mick lost it, like, with how it ends. But there are also a couple parts where Mark, Mark Patton is in this, and I know in your review, Terry, you weren't as impressed by him in this movie. I actually loved him in this movie. Um, I definitely thought he was trying a little bit too hard. Um, but the at the end of the film, he's yelling a lot of things that, and all of the things he's yelling of, like, you done dick tease the wrong queen. Bitch. Bitch. Um, all improv, apparently. Like, Mark Patton, they just, like, let him yell whatever he wanted. That was my favorite part. That was my favorite part of his performance. Screaming. But, like, that part, people were laughing because it was just so ridiculous. And Carter was like, thank God. Like, we wanted people to laugh at that part because it's so ridiculous. And at one point, Mark Patton's character is just going, you're going to go to hell. And everyone started cracking up. And so that was really, and it was just, it was really interesting to like watch it in an audience of people who I wasn't sure, like, are they going to be into this? Right. But people really liked it. Like, they really, really liked it. And I think it's because... I think it's because it's transgressive, but he didn't go exploitative. He didn't no. go like all out like gross. It's it's gross because things aren't shown. I think it's done in a way that is transgressive, but isn't necessarily like look at all the body horror. You know what? It's we're calling a body horror, but it's not. It's not as it's not like what you think of body horror, like Cronenberg or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. very so. It's, it's like very more than shown. 
Yeah. It's and again this I think this happened a lot when we think about this with crimes of the crimes of the future. It's like internal body horror. Where like you don't mm-hmm. know what's going on to somebody, but you can see something happening inside of them. And like that's more terrifying because you don't know what's happening. But essentially like these guys are on a drug run um, because they're two best friends. Um, and one of them is going to go to be a porn star in LA. And the other one's going to try to get her name, like make him some money so he can go start his porn career in LA. And it all just goes sideways. And it's like beautiful, really like intimacy between friends who like one is gay and one is, one is straight, but like there's like romance, there's like feelings there. And I think that's what makes it even more tragic in terms of the sort of like romance angle of it, because like there's a there's an almost what if kind of feel to their friendship, because it's 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 uh, Benjamin, the the main characters last night in this town, going to, to the coast to be a porn star, leaving his best friend behind. And there's like a line where he's like, yeah, give me one reason why I should stay here. And you want the other character to be like me, dumbass, you know, and it, it it's not said. And so there's like, there's that moment where things could have, it felt like things could have been right. And then things take a sharp turn. And like you said, it's a drug run that goes horribly awry. Um, there is this, the sexiest moment in that movie is when there's a kiss and there's like a little string of spit between the characters mouths. And it's like the sexiest thing I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, we we talked yeah. to Carter last year, um, and he kind of obliquely talked about this this film a bit. And we had talked to him about the his uh, all the dead boys, which was a photo series that he does. There's an Instagram account and a website that has a little bit more adult content on it. Um, and he has said at that time that this was an all the dead boys production, and that's that logo is like on the mm-hmm. front, and all the dead boys is like that that moment between violence. And sex, like the, where you like are both like titillated and repulsed at the same time. And I think that that pretty much covers exactly what this movie is going for in tone for most of it. I will say, yes, I more the more I think about it, the more I actually did enjoy Mark Patton's performance. But it just, it, it feels so very left field, I will say, from the more very intense, like I was on the edge of my seat through most of this movie. And then my we get to the third act. My butt cheeks were just so tight. <laughs> yeah. My butt cheeks. Oh God, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like my muscles were really tense. Oh shit. Deceased. I have ceased to be. <laughs> uh, but yes, mine were clenched as well. And then we get to the third act, and I just feel like it takes a it takes a turn into camp. And I I don't think I was necessarily prepared for some of the direction that it went in that last third. Fair enough. Fair enough. I but still loved it. I did I love, love this movie. Movie. It was my favorite. Ooh. Sorry, it's a flash flood warning. My phone is blowing up. Um, oh. 
This is my favorite of the festival. I think it's the most original thing I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really daring. I think Carter wanted to make a good fucking movie about being queer and gross, and he did that, and it's incredible. So... And it's playing at a bunch more festivals, and I hope it gets picked up soon, because I really do think it's something special. And he wants to make more movies in that universe. Mm-hmm. So. Fingers I'm here for it. Crossed. Please, Carter, if you're listening. I'm here for it. Bring more. Seriously. So. Um, wow, we really ran through those quick. We, we were economical we with our did. time. I'm proud of us. Um, so then we're on to our... <laughs> our horror comedy of the week which is a movie with Dick Miller in it uh, we watched Roger Corman's A Bucket of Blood yeah from 1959 <laughs> uh, it's a movie in which Dick Miller is a busboy at a very hipster coffee shop and the coffee shop is like a hive of a whole bunch of artists and it opens up with someone giving this wild bit of poetry <laughs> that starts with life is an obscure hobo bumming a ride on the omnibus of art burn gas man buggies and whip your sour cream of circumstance and hope while a sax player stands to the next side of him playing a little sad Diddy that I feel like is 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 exactly <laughs> what uh, Mike Myers was making fun of in um, So I Married an Axe Ma- Axe Murderer. Oh, where he's yeah. like, "Whoa, man! Whoa, man!" Like that. It was like this is this is that from the 1950s. And he accidentally kills his cat or a cat that's in the wall, and he decides to paper mache it. I guess put clay around it and put it off as art. People love it. Don't realize there's a dead cat inside. And then he starts killing more people because he needs more art. What you think of this one? I mean, I was mostly just like that they're making fun of hipsters in the 50s. And I thought that's been a thing for a long time. And we've been making fun of pretentious art makers for a long like we make we have so much of that like crimes of the future is like this there's a lot Mm. of movies now that have made fun of the art scene but i haven't seen a lot of stuff from like the past that makes fun of this kind of like pretentious way of life and perspective on art and creation so that to me was kind of interesting to be like oh like again nothing is new (laughs) yeah i mean this probably was is a formative film it's probably what? is a formative film, a oh, form- yeah. formative film in that regard. But um, yeah, I, I think the problem is is that we've seen so many films like that in the intervening what sixty years. Yes, 70? I was thinking the same thing. I was years? like, it does feel, and again, like you're, it probably was formative, and like it probably was the first one to really do that. And we're just like, oh, we've seen this a million times before, but it does lay down those blueprints. For like, cause you know, okay, cool. He kills the cat, puts it in plaster. Everyone's like, it's a masterpiece, and you're like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> With the knife just, sticking out of it still, which made me laugh. That was kind of incredible. It was incredible. Um, but like, you know where it's going, and like, that's fine. But you know, it was fine. <laughs> My favorite part, though, is when um, he kills his first person, and 
his landlady knocks on the door, like pounds on the door, and he ends up somehow hiding the body in the ceiling in his kitchen. And the hand like falls down and starts dripping blood. So he puts a pan underneath it to like capture the the blood as he is like talking. And so there's just like a small little dribble of blood happening behind him as he is continuing on with his with talking about what he's planning on doing and stuff. And that made me laugh. There, like, there are some genuinely funny moments. And, and, like, you just have to laugh at the whole, like, very much playing up the pretentious art scene mm-hmm. of these people in, like, a beatnik coffee house are just, like, taking themselves way too seriously and, like, way wearing berets and, like, snapping and singing songs and just smoking a lot of cigarettes. Like, it's Lots just making of fun of that an entire scene. And this mm-hmm. poor guy wants so badly to be part of the art world. And that's how you get a part of it is you kill you kill to do it and again like saying it out loud we've seen this so many times before and horror history we get it i just think people have elaborated on it in um more interesting ways but yeah. i mean still fuck you roger corman no, i'm just kidding oh god delete that out of it it was a joke oh my god anyway I did yeah, like I that he he I'm talks sorry. about it, like what am I going to do next? I have to I got to figure it out before they forget that I exist. I know what it's like being ignored, and I was like, okay, I I like what we're we're doing here. I just I don't know. It it, it felt I guess a little one note, and I the way it ended, it felt kind of pretentious, which is funny because it's making fun of pretension. Yeah, he like ends up hanging himself, and like that was probably his work of art. That was his masterpiece. I'm like, okay. Pretension. We get it. We, we, get, we get it. It was a little too yeah. cute. It was little, I think they're a little too uh, self-satisfied with that moment, but it was decent. Yeah, it was decent. Good little piece Not of my favorite history. of the ones we've seen. No. Excuse me. <laughs> um, but. So what what are we going to next week for our horror comedy adventure, Terry? Oh boy, we are going to 1963, and we are covering a movie that has Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre, Basil Rathbone, a horror royalty. So many um, people, and it's called the Comedy of Terrors, and it is about a funeral director who wants to increase business, so they start creating their own customers. Murder. Murder. <laughs> Great. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that one. That one should be funny. Me too. See all um, those guys together will be very, will be very yeah. fun. That's wild. I know. That's wild. Uh, but who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? On Monday, we are chatting with writer and Beauty of Horror podcast host Chandler Bullock. And we are talking about the 1951 Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Weird ass movie, man. Weird ass movie. Dark conversation. Dark conversation. We recorded it um I believe the day of the the shooting in Texas. So just kind of Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a warning for that for everybody. It's a little bit of a, a downer episode because it had just happened and we talk about touch on it a little bit. But yeah. it's a good conversation nonetheless. So mm-hmm. and a very yeah. uh important film for Chandler like it's definitely you can see 
Yeah, Very it's much. it's going to be a good one, but it is it is isn't a a, a, a silly one. <laughs> I will no, say it's not. <laughs> um, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch something that we watched and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for horror comedies for us to cover? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MD McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you can, I am doing Gailey Helpful and we could use some donations. So that would be nice too. Donate, please. <laughs> Um, thank you to Eric Power for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>